Thank you, everybody. This morning, we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're going to tackle verses 5 through 9 and look at slaves and masters. How many of you are people that like to cut corners? You know who you are. You like to take shortcuts. When I was really young, about 10 years old, I think, and my, one of my younger brothers was probably about six or, or seven. We were over at my grandparents' house, and this is going to sound bad, but I, I walked in on him in the bathroom just as he was finishing up and got his pants almost all the way up, but he was really struggling buttoning that button. And he turned and looked at me, and I went, oh my gosh, what are you doing? He had left his pajamas on underneath his pants. What, what are you doing? Why, why are your pajamas still on? Well, they're on because I'm just going to put them back on anyways tonight. That's the way it is sometimes for us, right? When it comes to work, we want to cut the corners just a little bit. We want to be more efficient. We want to try and find an easier way to get the job done. And we don't often like it when someone over us puts more work on our plate. And often our response is what? It's grumbling. It's complaining, right? My dad was a fire captain. Actually, he was a, he's a fire captain when he retired, but he was a firefighter paramedic when I was growing up. And he would work these 24-hour shifts. And so there were some days where he was home and other days where he was gone. And what was really interesting was his mood would change from day to day. Uh, certain days, he would have an itch to go do something fun. And we'd go on bike rides, we'd launch model rockets, we'd do archery, we'd do all sorts of fun stuff. And I have great memories with my dad growing up. But other days, other days after he had been up all night at the station, you'd be awoken to the sound of that gas-powered blower attacking the leaves in the front yard. And before you could even finish breakfast, he would come in and say, Boys, got about an hour's worth of work for you. Which was code for, you are on my work crew for as long as I need you. It's going to be dirty, and it is not going to be fun. We hated those days. Because we'd be out in the yard for hours and hours and hours. We would grumble. We'd complain. Every time my dad wasn't looking, we'd try to cut corners. We'd try to, to, to do the job halfway. And very often, those days ended with at least one of us getting a trip to the garage for a bad attitude. The question for this morning is, does God care about the way that we work? Does he care about the way that employers and employees treat one another? We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and Paul's been telling us what it looks like to be living as a child who has been brought into the light. Being part of God's family, does that make a difference in how we live? And he addressed husbands and wives. We talked about that several weeks ago. And then he addressed children. He addressed parents. And now today he addresses slaves and he addresses masters. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Ephesians chapter 5, or chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And it says, Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, 
with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Slavery is not a normal part of our culture anymore, the way it was in Paul's day. And even the slavery that was commonplace here in America back in the day was very, very different from the slavery that took place in the Roman Empire. In the first century, it's estimated that, the, that slaves, they were one-third of the population. So in Ephesus, you can assume that one-third of the people there would have been slaves. So it's very, it's very understanding that Paul would address these slaves. Slavery in the Roman Empire, it wasn't about race. There were slaves from just about every corner of the known world in the Roman, the Roman Empire. Most became slaves because they were prisoners of war, though some were brought into slavery as infants. Infants would be abandoned in the streets, unwanted, and people would scoop them up because they were valuable commodities. I'll invest in this child. They're gonna, I'll sell them later as a slave. Abandoned children scooped up. Uh, there were also people who willingly submitted themselves to slavery because they had racked up so much debt, and this was their only way of paying off that debt. And then there were also those who were captured by professional slave traders. Slavery was prominent. Another difference between slavery in American history and the slavery that existed in Roman times was that slaves actually had an expectation. There was actual hope that they might gain their freedom. As slaves got older, usually around the age 30, Slaves would often be freed. In fact, there was a government mandate that that take place at one point. But then they also earned wages. Slaves made money. It wasn't a lot, but they could save up their wages in the hope of one day purchasing their freedom. Slaves didn't always do manual labor. They were often sent to elite schools and given specialized positions. So you'd have slaves that were sea captains, slaves that were doctors, slaves that were lawyers, doing all sorts of professional work. It was, for some, it was they, they got their training, then they were freed, and now they were off doing their career. But it wasn't all roses. Though slaves were an important and an essential part, really, of the family, the Roman family, they were really often just considered as possessions, kind of like your lawnmower or your dishwasher. And they didn't have the same rights as citizens. They couldn't own any property, and they were often exploited or abused. How abused? One commentator writes, the Roman statesman Cato said, Old slaves should be thrown on a dump. And when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. 
Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail. And a man named Polio threw a slave into a pond of deadly lamprey eels for breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenal wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. That's grim. That's brutal. And yet it was a part of the culture, part of the legal system of the day. Now it's important for us to note here that Paul does not condone slavery in any way. In fact, in any of his writings, he doesn't condone slavery. But it's also interesting, and many have noted, that Paul also doesn't take time in this letter to come out and speak against slavery. And I don't think that's because he was okay with it, because he thought it was a good thing for society, but I think it's because he knew that there was something more important that he was supposed to be about doing. You see, Christianity, it's not, it's not an anarchist movement. It's not about inciting riots and toppling governments, and neither is it first and foremost about rallying people together and campaigning for widespread cultural change. It's, it's about Christ working inside each and every one of us, about changing us as individuals and forming us into a community, a new nation, a new family, a new people of light that are representing Christ, shining his truth to a dark world. And so Paul's mission here, it's not to confront the cultural practice of slavery that was going on. His desire instead is to show people who are, find themselves stuck in that system, that corrupt legal system and culture, how they should live as Christians. For Paul, though trusting Jesus meant a dramatic change in one's life, you had now hope for the future, it didn't remove one's earthly authorities. It doesn't invalidate the relationships that you have with the people who are over you. It doesn't give a child reason to say, Mom, Dad, uh, I trust in Christ now. God's now my boss, so you can go talk to the wall over there. It's not about that. God has placed over us people uh, for reasons that only he knows. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus gives people who are caught in relationships of authority and submission of slavery and ma of slave and master of boss and employee of student and teacher of all sorts of different shapes and sizes of authoritative relationships he's placed them there and he's given them as believers now the power to live in that context in a way that actually pleases God just because a slave came to trust Christ didn't mean they got a get-out-of-slavery free card. Instead, they're to submit to their masters. So that's the cultural context of our passage this morning. It's a world of slaves, and it's a world of masters. It's not condoned by Scripture, widely embraced by society of the day. And the question for us, of course, is does this apply to us at all? Well, we've already mentioned mentioned authoritative relationships. Though you and I may not be slaves in the same way that these slaves that Paul was addressing were, we're 
many of us, actually all of us, are in some type of authority relationship with other people. So does this apply to us? Absolutely it applies to us. If you have teachers, if you have leaders, if you have bosses, if you have pastors, if you have anyone over you, this applies to you. And it's not always easy to to submit to them, right? It's not always easy to obey them. Sometimes we think that we could do a lot better on our own. We could make far better decisions if we were in that position, right? Other times we feel like, they don't really care about us. I'm just a commodity to them. I'm just a tool to them. I'm just being used here. They don't care about me as a person. They're just bossing me around, keeping me busy. I remember back when I was in school, when I was younger. (laughs) You know, when you're younger, you you look up at your authorities and you're just like, I could do better than that. I know a thing or two here, right? And I remember getting graded on some papers and just looking at these papers and just thinking, what do these teachers know? (laughs) I studied, I read them, I know I'm right. Who are they to grade me? That's the way we feel sometimes when it comes to those relationships. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt that way about a boss, a teacher, maybe even the police. But Paul says here, if you're a person who is now trusts in Jesus, that's being transformed by him, then you're to treat those teachers, bosses, leaders, whoever those authorities may be, differently than you used to. Maybe before you tried to undermine their authority. Maybe you tried to get away with as much work as uh, the least amount of work as possible. Maybe you said things behind their back that were disrespectful or you rolled your eyes when they weren't looking. But that's not the way that we learned Christ. Not only does Paul address slaves, he also speaks to those who are masters. He also speaks to those who are in those positions of authorities. And so if you find yourself in one of those positions of authority, you're a boss, you're a teacher, you're a manager, you're a supervisor, you're on a governing board, there's something here for you as well. Let's take a look at what he has to say. Walking in the light, it should change the way that our work relationships actually work out. First of all, knowing Jesus, it should do something with our actions. It should change our actions. Paul writes in verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Now, I wish I could tell all of us here today that when you look at the Greek word for obey, it actually doesn't mean obey. It means something less than that. It means, you know, kind of, sort of. It means kind of, you know, get, a, get, a, get away with, you know, with the least amount possible. It, but it doesn't. To obey literally means to obey. That's exactly what it is. In fact, Paul doesn't give these slaves any conditions to the word. He doesn't say, obey if they're nice to you. Obey if you feel like your boss, your master respects you. Obey them if they're fair, if they're treating you well. If they're following, you know, all of these certain, all the stipulations in the employee handbook, no, he just says obey, meaning do what they say all of the time. Now, of course, there are exceptions to this command, right? If somebody in authority over you tells you to do something that is against what God wants you to do, well, then you have an ultimate authority here that 
supersedes their authority. And so, of course, Paul wouldn't be saying if, if following your employer means disobeying God. Well, he would say disobey God, absolutely. But that's the exception. Those who are in Christ are to obey their masters. And obeying your masters actually is a way of obeying Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. There's something about your relationship with Christ that has something to do with your relationship with your boss or your master. Again, in verse 7, he writes, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So for those of us who sit under authority... We're under someone else's authority. Obeying them is actually a way of obeying Christ. That's, that's the reason why we're supposed to obey them, because God has placed certain people above us, over us, in authority over us, and as we obey them, we're obeying and submitting to God as well. And we talked about that when we talked about their children, a child's relationship to their parents. So it goes without saying that if an earthly authority should require you to do something that's against what your ultimate authority, God, is telling you to do, well, then, of course, you don't submit to them. Like that creepy pirate in that movie, you have to say, I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. But that's the exception. Paul makes it clear. If you're in Christ, you're to obey. But those in authority are also supposed to act differently. Masters are now children of light, and they're called to stop leading their people, people under them, in fear, in fear of punishment. He writes in verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. Stop threatening. Stop your threatening. Yes, masters, there are those who are under obligation to you. They are under obligation to obey you, to listen to you, to do what you say. But the way that you go about getting them to do what you need them to do, that needs to change. Slave owners, they were notorious for ruling with threats. One Roman lawyer in AD 61 wrote, The only way to keep down this scum is by intimidation. We also see the cruelty of slave owners in the writings of the Roman philosopher Seneca. He was disgusted by the way that these slaves were being treated, by the way they were being abused. And he pleads with masters, get a grip on your anger and stop using threats. And Paul agrees. He agrees with this. But his arguments for changing the way that you treat those under you, it comes with And even more, well, it's even more than just a passionate plea. It's rooted in the new relationships that slaves and masters have. In our case, employees and bosses. It's rooted in the relationship that those slaves and those masters have with each other, but also with Christ. Because you're now in Christ, the the way bosses and employees act toward one another, that's got to be different. It needs to change. Knowing Jesus should change our actions, but it should also change something else. It should change our attitude. Paul writes, Bondservants, this is verse 5, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, 
with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The New Living Translation, it reads that we're to obey them with deep respect and fear. And this isn't the kind of fear and trembling that you have like when you're watching a scary movie. You're just frightened in your seats. It's not that kind of fear. You don't need to jump when you see your boss or you see your teacher or you see someone else who's an authority over you. It's the kind of fear, actually, that we're supposed to have for God. One that acknowledges the significance of that position. It's kind of like, kind of like holding a, a stick of dynamite. You've got to recognize that you're working with something incredibly powerful. And you're to handle it a certain way, with a certain amount of care, with a certain amount of respect. Notice he says, also, we need to obey with sincerity, with a sincere heart, he writes. In other words, he's saying, don't be two-faced about your service to those in authority over you. Don't be someone who says, yes, sir, of course, sir, whatever you say, sir, and then you turn right around and you're grumbling and you're complaining under your breath. You're rolling your eyes. Don't be like my brothers and I who were just trying to get away with everything that we could when our dad wasn't looking. Children of light, children of light who are workers, employees, students, who trust in Jesus, they need to be people of integrity. People who are the same on the outside as on the inside. People who are the same when their bosses, their teachers are watching them, and people who are the same when they're not watching them. Have you ever been given a piece of, of candy? Maybe it was Halloween candy. You're so excited to get it, just like Quincy after a truck, trunk or treat. She came home and she dumped her bucket all over the counter and it just covered and it's falling off all over the place. Have you ever picked up a piece of candy and it was all it, it looked great on the outside and then you opened it up and the chocolate had like turned white and it's just crumbling and it's disgusting. We're not to be like that. We're to be the same through and through. We're to be people who are consistent. Don't be like those Pharisees that Jesus described, right? They were like whitewashed tombs. They did such a good job of making themselves look wonderful on the outside. People look at us and they see us, the boss sees us working, the teacher sees us, you know, being studious, you know, working on our assignment, and then as soon as they turn around, there's something different that's happening. Those Pharisees, they were rotten on the inside, like whitewashed tombs. The outside looked good, but there was death on the inside. Notice what he writes in verse 6. With a sincere, sincere heart, it's hard for me to say, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Have you ever been in a class, maybe back in the day, some of you students now, the teacher has to step out, and what happens? The chaos erupts, right? People are screaming. People are yelling. One kid is taking his pencils and throwing them in the roof. There's a couple making out in the corner. There are people writing obscenities on the whiteboard. Paper airplanes are flying all over the place. It just erupts in complete chaos. Well, what happened? The teacher wasn't looking. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Don't just obey when the teacher is in the room. Be dedicated to your work all the time. And this idea of being sincere, it actually goes for bosses as well. Paul actually says when he addresses bosses in verse 
uh, 9, he says, Masters, do the same to them. Now, there are people who are try, have tried to analyze, what is, this, what is the same? What are, what, are, what are masters to do the same? Well, Paul doesn't qualify. He says to do the same. So I would assume that that includes this element of sincerity there. Do not be two-faced with your employees or with your students. Even if we've stopped the threats, not motivating out of fear anymore, we need to be people who don't motivate out of praise that is deceptive it's easy isn't it we think the way to encourage our people and rally them around us we got to talk good to them we got to praise them we got to encourage them and then behind their back maybe with some other employers we're bad-mouthing them these sniveling ingrates we need to be careful that we don't lead our people people under us employees students to allow, to, to, to allow them to, to, to butter us up and jump around like these trained seals, thinking that they're somehow going to get special privileges or they're going to get bonuses or they get promotions or better grades when we have no intention of giving those things to them. We, those of us who are in positions of authority, we've got to lead with sincerity. We've got to lead with honesty. We've got to lead with integrity. We've got to lead with kindness. Our students or employees need to be treated with respect, fairness, and dignity, not as expendable possessions or tools that we can kick around and abuse. Both slaves and masters, employees and their bosses, students and teachers, they need to have sincere hearts. Well, why? Why do they need this? That actually brings us to our third point here. Knowing Jesus, it should change our perspective. We've already briefly mentioned this, but take a closer look at this passage again and notice what Paul, who Paul says we're actually working for here. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. The perspective that you and I should have is we obey those who are in authority over us. We, it needs to be I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for God. Because He is my ultimate authority. And I trust that He is all-powerful, and I trust that He is sovereign, and I trust that He has allowed me to be in this situation right now for a reason. And am I using my life to glorify Him right now, or am I using it to show that Christ really hasn't done anything inside of me? Back in the 1600s, there was a man who served in the French army, and his name was Herman Nichols. He was severely wounded in battle, spent some time as a prisoner of war. During, the time that, he came to know, during that time, he came to know the Lord at about age 18. Later on, he decided, I, I'm going to give my life fully to God. Well, back then, what did you do? You, you went and you became a monk. You joined a monastery. He was excited about serving God, but all of that changed 
when they gave him his work assignment. And he found himself working in the kitchen. Not doing all the high and lofty, godly, spiritual things that he thought being a monk was all about. There's a quote here. It says, this, For the former soldier was not thrilled about this assignment. For the next four years, he did his job grudgingly, considering it a penance for his prior sins. He was miserable and tormented by the idea that his soul was so wrecked that God had, should lead him to this. And as he dwelled on this idea, he slowly realized that he was focusing too much time and energy on himself. He had joined the monastery out of love for God and had decided that he needed to concentrate on the simple idea, loving God in whatever he did. And this decision changed his life. His conscious desire to approach even the most menial task out of his love for God and as a part of his service to God altered his attitude, filling him with an unexpected joy and it's said because of the dynamic change that took place in this guy's life just because of his perspective just because he came to realize this work needs to be done as if it's done to the lord that news of his loyalty and devotion to his god it spread outside the walls of the monastery and there were people from all around that came to learn from him religious leaders in even came for advice and spiritual direction because something was going on inside of him that he could do this lowest task with great joy. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do, there is a significance, there is a relationship between you, between that and your love and honor for God. Everything that we do should be directly done in our minds for God, as if He's the one that we are ultimately doing it for. And looking to Him, as Paul says in our passage today, He's the one who's going to reward us. The thing that you are doing, it may, you may get no thanks. You may have no appreciation from those in authority over you for what you do. But someone is watching your God is watching. And He is not only watching your actions, but He is watching your attitude. And He knows the perspective you have. He's looking into your heart and knows whether or not you and I are doing it for His glory or for our own. And that goes for slaves and employees and students. Paul wrote, Rendering a good service with a good will is to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. It goes from masters, verse 9, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Those of us who are in positions of authority, we need to remember, along with those serving under us, ultimately, we have the same master. Bosses, your employees, you and them have the same master. Same goes for teachers. Same goes for any authoritative relationship. If we're trusting Jesus, he's our master. And in his eyes, it doesn't matter if you're a boss or you're an employee. We're all his kids. We're all in need of his rescue. 
We're all in need of His grace. We're all in need of the transformative work of His Holy Spirit working through His Word in our lives. So the question is, how do you treat those in authority over you? If you place your trust in Jesus, you know the good things that God has done for you, then everything you do should be done as an act of worship to God. And for those of us who are in those positions of authority, how are we treating those under us? Are we leading? Are we directing? Are we managing them in a way that honors God? If we're in Christ, we should no longer be using threats. Instead, the way that we lead should be filled with sincerity and with the grace of our Master, our Master in heaven. Knowing God should change our actions, our attitude, and our perspective. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. There are times, Lord, when we look into it and it zeroes right in. And it is extremely practical and it is confrontational. It calls us out. And Lord, sometimes that doesn't feel good. I look at my own life and I see so much of it. So much of my attitudes and my actions, Lord, have been done in a way that has not honored you. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here, Lord. I pray that you would continue to refine us. Even as you show us grace for the ways that we don't measure up, Lord, would you continue to change us and mold us and remind us of who our real master is. Lord, lead us to do everything with joy as if it's done directly for you. May all our lives be done with the perspective, Lord, that we're here to bring you glory. We love you, Lord. Thank you for these words we've had to look over this morning. We pray that you would help us to continue to take them to heart and continue to transform us into people who look more and more like Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.